This week, we're continuing in our, our series in 1 Samuel, and so what I want you to think about is your, what is your late night routine? Like, what, is, what are the things that you do right before bed, like to get yourself ready to go to sleep? Because if you're like me, you've tried different things, or maybe you're like, why don't we watch a movie? I know my favorite movies, action movies. Let's do a Marvel movie. Uh, but it turns out uh, action movies or the news do not get my blood pressure down. It, it, it raises it. Uh, and so it, it ends up being our go-to, our, our reruns of Friends. So if you've ever seen uh, the show Friends, I, I don't think any of them know Jesus, uh, but because there, there was never a character to share the gospel with them written. Uh, but there's one episode where there's this guy named Joey, and he's an Italian struggling actor, and he's going to all these auditions. Well, one, in one episode, he auditions for a Broadway show. And he gets done with the audition, and the director was like, that was great. That was fantastic. You're definitely going to get called back uh, to the dance uh, audition on Saturday. And he says, dance audition? And he said, don't worry. Uh, your resume, like with your dance background, it'll be a piece of cake. Uh, the problem is, Joey has not been truthful with his resume. So he has not had three years of dance classes or five years with the New York Ballet. Uh, and so he's got a choice to make. Am I going to even show up at this next uh, audition? Uh, or am I going to come clean uh, with the director? Or am I going to show up and try to wing it and see how that goes? And that's where we find David today. If, you, if you've been following along in 1 Samuel, if you've got your Bibles, turn to chapter 22 of 1 Samuel. Uh, we see uh, David is going to be... In chapter 24, he's going to be in a cave, and he's going to be faced with a decision, a decision that could alter the rest of his life. It could alter his legacy. It could be nothing. We don't know. But he's going to have a bunch of guys, and maybe even himself, encouraging him to do something that he knows is wrong, because the right thing to do is at odds with what the easy thing to do and what everybody wants to do. And so to catch us up, where Pastor David left off last week, you had King Saul uh, angry at David uh, because God had anointed him to be the next king, even though David hadn't done anything. Uh, and his son Jonathan is protecting David. And so Saul begins to throw spears uh, at the dinner table. Uh, he's not a good shot. And so David escapes uh, and he flees with a few men, uh, and he goes to this uh, place called Nob, where Ahimelech the priest is, the temple or the tabernacle has been moved there, and he's like, hey, you got any bread for us, uh, and do you have any weapons? I don't have a weapon, and sure enough, the only weapon that was there was the sword of Goliath that David had slain, and he's on uh, the road, he's on the run from Saul, who's trying to take his life, and if you're thinking, Okay, tell me, remind me of why, what David did and why Saul is chasing him. That's a great thing to wonder because he answers nothing. Like David's played the harp. Uh, I, don't, I don't have it out for harp players. Uh, I've known some uh, at HBU. They, they do a good job. Uh, he, he killed God's enemies in Goliath. He's been a general. He's led the armies. He's done nothing, yet Saul is chasing him. Uh, and David is going to end up in a cave hiding out, there, there's, which are n normally associated with death because a lot of caves functioned as, as tombs. And there's about 400 men at this point that have surrounded themselves to David. 
and, and so those in distress, those in debt, the, the people who are outcast, find a home with this anointed future king. And so we're going to pick it up in chapter 22, verse 9. Because uh, everybody's looking for David, or really Saul is, but nobody's telling him where he's at, and there's this guy that knows, and let's see what happens in verse 9. Then answered Doeg the Edomite, who stood by the servants of Saul, I saw the son of Jesse coming to Nob, to Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub, and he inquired of the Lord for him, gave him provisions, and gave him the sword of Goliath the Philistine. Then the king summoned he sent to summon Ahimelech the priest, the son of Ahitub, and all his father's house, the priests who were at Nob, and all of them came to the king. And Saul said, Hear now, son of Ahitub. And he answered, Here I am, my lord. And Saul said to him, Why have you conspired against me, you and the son of Jesse, in that you have given him bread and a sword and inquired of God for him, so that he has risen against me to lie in wait as to this day. And Ahimelech answered the king, and who among your servants is so faithful as David? Who's the king's son-in-law, the captain over your bodyguard, and honored in your house? Is today the first time I've acquired of, to God for him? No, let not the king impute anything to his servant or to all the house of my father, for your servant has known nothing of all of this, much or little, and the king said, you shall surely die, Ahimelech, you and your father's house. And the king said to the guard who stood about him, turn and kill the priests of the Lord, because their hand is also with David. And he knew that he fled and did not disclose it to me. But the servants of the king would not put out their hand to strike the priests of the Lord. Interesting. Then the king said to Doeg, you turn and strike the priests. And Doeg the Edomite turned and struck down the priest. He killed on that day 85 persons who wore the linen ephod. And Nob, the city of the priest, he put to the sword, both man and woman, child and infant, ox, donkey, and sheep, poor sheep, uh, he put to the sword. If that sounds dark, it is. Like Saul's not uh, in a good place and he hears, he, he's even giving land away to get people to turn David over. And he hears from this Doeg guy, hey, David's over here and he went to the priest. And so he calls all the priests to him and he says, hey, you guys, you're against me. And he tells his guard, slaughter him. And the guard knows better. The guard knows that this is the anointed of the Lord. I'm not just going to raise my hand. I'm not going to raise a sword and kill a bunch of priests. Doag, uh, he lacks those scruples. And he's like, I, I like to kill people. And so he's like, go kill them. And he kills not only 85 priests, which puts your mind to that. That's, that's wild. He takes it a step further and he goes to the town and he kills everything. Wipes it out. And then we don't have time to read chapter 3, but there's Keilah, a town in Israel where the Philistines are attacking. Saul doesn't do anything, but David hears about it. He inquires of the Lord. He goes in and rescues him. He's the town's savior. And then Saul finds out that David's there and he's like, oh, I've got him. And he's going to muster the army. David hears from the Lord. He's like, hey, are these people going to turn me over? Yeah. And so David flees. Again, both instances, he's avoiding direct conflict with 
God's anointed king, and so he flees, and so Saul doesn't go. And so you may be wondering, how did Saul get to such a dark place? And that's, a good, again, a good question to ask, because it wasn't too many chapters earlier where Saul was made king, right? And like he was following the Lord and he was asking of the Lord and he was giving the Lord credit for victories. He was having Samuel sacrifice to the Lord uh, and, and it wasn't long before he began giving himself credit for victories. He began shifting to be more about his own kingdom than God's kingdom. And he quickly found himself rebuked by God's prophet and saying, because of your rebellion, like the kingdom is going to be taken from you. Like, and so that's why he ends up throwing spears in the dining room. It's like a bad game of Clue, right? Like the king uh, in the dining room with the spear, uh, except he's not good at it. And so you have a king who is unwilling to obey God and wipe out this enemy people group that have been terrible to women, children, orphans, and the Israelites, but he's more than willing to take out God's anointed priests. That's dark. And what we see is focusing on the wrong kingdom always leads you to places you never thought you would be. It does. And before we hop up and and laugh at Saul, the same thing can be true of us. I'll give you a hypothetical. Take a dad who who loves his wife, he loves his kids, uh, maybe lives in Pearland, maybe Friendswood, uh, and he's going about life and, and and it shifts at some point where Instead of God's kingdom and seeking God, he, he, he gets to be more about him. And so instead of making a church a priority and being in the house of God, hearing the goodness of God, hobbies and leisure take over. And so while he doesn't get to hear the goodness of God, he's, he's got season tickets uh, or he's got s- some land. Um, and he begins to prioritize overtime and time at work and maybe even with work friends instead of family time because he's like, well, I, I got to i got to make a living, and I, we want to be secure. And it's not long before everything's about him, his kingdom, and his happiness. And so people get put into boxes, right? Like you're either for me or against me. And so this father that was doing well in family and faith is disconnected from the body of Christ. He's funneling all his resources to what he wants to do and the, maybe the new gadgets he wants. He's estranged from his wife and kids because he doesn't spend much time with them anymore, doesn't have time for them, and uh, he, he's about to make a choice uh, that could give up being married and getting to parent because some lady at work gave him a compliment a couple months ago, and he's at Applebee's on a date night with someone who's not his wife. And you wonder, and he would wonder, you ask him, how did I get here? I don't know how this happened. But as he's telling a story, you're like, I know how it happened. You, way back here, you started to be about your kingdom and not his kingdom. And when you're focused on the wrong kingdom, you always end up in places like you never, never thought you would be. So let's skip over uh, to chapter 24. Again, Saul's chasing David. David's on the run. Um, He's gathered more men. By this time, there's 600 men uh, who've gathered around him. Verse 1, when Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, behold, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goat's rocks. 
And when he came to the sheepfolds, by the way, where there was a cave, Saul went in to relieve himself. Aren't you glad you came Sunday morning? Uh, now, they, I always get these texts. I don't know how. Uh, now, David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. Uh, and David and his men said to him, Here is the day which the Lord has said to you. Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you will do to him as it seems good to you. So David's on the run. His guys are in a cave hiding. Saul doesn't know exactly where he is, but he knows the area. He rolls up with his army. Uh, and according to the Old Testament, you couldn't have a toilet or a bathroom in the army camp because it would defile the camp. So uh, Saul goes into the cave, and I don't need to give you full description, but he's got to go. Uh, and so he's away from his bodyguards. He's away from his army, and he's in a cave. And it just so happens to be the cave where 600 dudes with swords uh, are just waiting. And now granted, I don't know how this happens. For my teachers in the room, have you ever seen like 30 people be quiet? Probably not. I'm getting some heads shaking. I don't know how you get 600 guys with clanky swords to be so silent that nobody knows you're in the cave with them. Uh, but if you noticed, David's men have concluded, this is the Lord. Uh, the Lord has given you Saul into your hand. They even quote scripture. They're like, hey, this is fulfillment of the promise. Problem is we don't find that promise anywhere in scripture. Maybe they're generalizing, but have you ever had friends like that where they're encouraging you to do something wrong and they're like, no, God would want this. Yeah, no, no, no. There's no way God would ask you to do that. He wants you to be happy right? God helps those who help themselves. Again, the problem with these things is there's not in, they're not in the Bible, and they're, they're excited. Uh, and, and David is in a moment, high-pressure situation, kind of like Saul was at, and he's got a choice to make. He, the, the reason he's given so far where he's avoided Saul is not because he feels outnumbered, because David knows how to throw down. Like if you read the earlier chapters, he's a warrior, uh, he's taken out the big dogs. He's not afraid of Saul. The reason he gives for avoiding direct conflict is I'm not going to raise my hand against God's anointed leader. I'm, I'm not going to do it. But he's got 600 guys that are saying, there he is. They're probably giving him different ways that he could take Saul out. They're like, hey, you need a sword to the face. Uh, or maybe, no, 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 maybe do an arrow to the face. Uh, or no, no, maybe no, get double daggers to the face. And then I'm sure there was an engineer in there like, hey, if you get your bow at 30 degrees, you hit the stalactite. Stalactite falls. No, you have stalactite to the face. And so he's got all this going on. And, and David's, David knows. He knows, I, even though I want to do that, he's, he's got a hard choice because he knows uh, of what's right and what's wrong. And it kind of reminds me of a situation uh, in a game show that's my mom's favorite game show. It's called Deal or No Deal. Uh, if you've ever seen it, uh, they've got all these briefcases. My mom loves us so much when the kids used to have like birthday parties or we're just going to call it Thursday night celebration at Chuck E. Cheese. Um, they had an arcade game of this and she loved to play it. And I'm like, it's not real, but she's like, pop, she's popping the coins in. I don't know if she took the kids tokens or not, but she's going. And the deal is you've got 
26 briefcases and it goes from like a penny all the way to a million dollars and you pick one and then the whole time you're eliminating different briefcases and it gets down to you know what's left and you hope what's left is big and you hope it's in your briefcase and the banker all the while is offering you I'll give you uh, $30,000 and you could take that deal or you can risk and keep what's in your briefcase. And then they knock it down and maybe they're down to two and there's $500,000 and there's $5. And that's a big deal. And maybe the banker's saying, hey, I'll give you $200,000 to walk away. And they've got a decision to make. And the reality is they know what's at stake. They know I'm either getting five bucks uh, and my wife is not gonna be happy or I'm getting 500,000 and things are gonna be good. I'm gonna pay bills, I'm gonna do all these things. Uh, but it's kind of like life, but the difference is we don't know what's in the briefcase. Like, what are you risking in this season of life with maybe a decision you're making or maybe a path you're considering going down? Like for David, he knows, hey, I'm not supposed to raise my hand against God's anointed. And so maybe in this moment, he's risking his integrity. Maybe he's risking the loyalty of some of the army that are going to see him do this thing that maybe they know is wrong. Like, are they going to follow me? Maybe he's risking and he's got the weight of responsibility of these guys who've put their lives in his hand. But maybe he's risking his legacy or his kingdom. Like, because if he ends up like Saul and going down a path of rebellion against God, the kingdom's going to get taken from him as well. Like, think about his legacy, too. Think about David, older, and he's got grandkids, and they're gathered around. Maybe it's Thanksgiving, or they're, they come over for the Super Bowl, 1000 BC Super Bowl, whatever that was. And they're like, Granddad, tell us again the story of how you became king. And he's like, oh, this is a great story. I love this story. Like, we were, so I was running. I was on the run. And King Saul, he was chasing me. And all of these armies, all these ninjas, and they were coming at me. Uh, and I was hiding in a cave and I was going to get them. And then, this is the moment, this is from the Lord. The king comes in to use the bathroom. And I, I sneak up on this guy in the bathroom. And that's how, like, that's a terrible story, right? You laugh. Nobody wants that as their story, number one. Number two, that doesn't sound like God did that. That sounds like you jumped on a dude in the bathroom and took advantage of the moment uh, instead of letting God handle his enemy. Like, because vengeance is the Lord's, according to Romans 12, not mine. And so there's a lot at stake that David may or may not knew. And the question is, what about for you? What about for me? What's at stake in this season where maybe you're tempted to go a direction you know is wrong or do a thing you know is wrong. The real answer is you don't know. Like it could be the trust of a friend. It could be your job. For some people, it's their freedom. For some, it's their marriage or being able to go to little league games and not have just a drama thing going on. So you have to ask yourself, is the choice or direction you're about to make, is it worth the risk? Because the reality is you don't know. And so let's see what David does. He's in a pressure situation. He's got all these guys saying, kill him. And maybe all these different ways. Pick it up in uh, the last part of verse four. Then David arose and stealthily, I love that, cut off the corner of Saul's robe. And afterward, David's heart struck him. It's interesting. Because he had cut off the corner of Saul's robe. 
He's the king. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing that he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. And afterward, David also arose and went out of the cave and called to Saul. He said, my Lord, the king. And when Saul looked at him, David bowed with his face to the earth and paid homage. And David said to Saul, why do you listen to the words of men who say, behold, David seeks you harm. Behold, this day in your eyes, you have seen how the Lord gave you into my hand in the cave. And some told me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not put out my hand against the Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, see the corner of your robe in my hand. For by the fact that I did not cut, that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, you may know and see that there is no wrong or treason in my hands. I have not sinned against you, though you hunt my life to take it. May the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you, but my hand shall not be against you. So David is, is there in the cave. He's got the moment and he decides, hey, I'm just going to scare him maybe. And he, he cuts the corner of the robe. I don't know what kind of ninja movie does. I don't know how stealthy you have to be in a cave because everything makes noise in a cave, right? Uh, so however, this, I don't know if the robe was long or if, if Saul was just, he was preoccupied, obviously. And so David, he, he goes and he cuts that and then his heart is struck because he realizes even the clothes of the king attacking those, it represents the king. So he's attacked Saul even in a symbolic way. And he's like, man, I'm, I'm not going to do this. And then his guys who are ready to jump since David's not, it says he persuaded him with his words. That word literally means tear apart. Like he tore into his guys. Again, I don't know how you do that silently in a cave uh, and nobody hears you, but he stops them from killing his enemy. The guy that's trying to kill him when David's innocent, he hasn't done anything against Saul. Like he restrains from attacking instead of taking vengeance. So a question we have is, do, do you treat God's anointed leaders like this? Or is it real easy to take shots at one of your pastors or your Sunday school leader, or maybe your small group leader, maybe a, a mentor? Because it, it looks like David's real clear, like I'm not going to raise my hand against God's anointed. I don't want to cut his, his robe I think about the conversations like, that are too easy to have and maybe listen to gossip or maybe be the one gossiping. Maybe it looks like even in Scripture people lie, like maybe be cautious of what you believe. And, and the two that get it the most are usually the senior pastor and your worship leader. Uh, I shared uh, with our adult small group uh, a meme. I don't know if it's actually Francis Chan or if it just got attributed to him, but it, it says on there, Pastor, I didn't like worship today. And his response was, that's okay. We weren't worshiping you. Uh, and so, and so, yeah, yeah. So a lot of times we, we, we get really flippant with our words and our actions, but it looks like, man, David's like, I'm not even going to raise my hand against him. And then he goes even further. He could have stayed in the cave. He could have stayed in safety, but he's like, no, like I, I'm not going to replay evil for evil. I'm not even going to be neutral. He's going to repay evil with good. 
And he's going to try to make things right. This is his enemy, and we're seeing how we're to treat our enemies. He goes out and tries to make things right. Because as believers, we're, we're not just supposed to love those who love us. Because Jesus said in Matthew 5, he's like, how different is that from the world? Like, of course, you're friendly to your friends, and you love those who love you. I called you to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you And so David does this. And make no mistake, David was a warrior. He knew how to throw down. Uh, He wasn't afraid of Saul. But the question it poses is, do you and I love our enemies like this? Where we would pray for them. Where we would go and seek unity. David did no wrong, but you see David bow down and say, don't listen to the ones that are saying like, look at my actions, look at my words. And he tries to make things right, risking his life. And we see strength is always found in restraint rather than vengeance. Like David could have taken revenge. He could have like just knocked out his enemy, but he said, no, I'm going to restrain in the midst of a heated situation uh, and he's going to do what's right. Pick it up in verse 16. We'll close it out. And as soon as David had finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, is this your voice, my son, David? He calls him by name for the first time in a long time. And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. And David, and he said to David, You are more righteous than I, for you have repaid me good. Or you are, yeah, you have repaid me good, whereas I've repaid you evil. And you have declared this day how you have dealt with me, and that you did not kill me when the Lord put me into your hands. For if a man finds his enemy, will he not, will he let him go away safe? So may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. And now behold, I know that you shall surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. And so as this passage closes out, you you see Saul realize there's a character disparity between him and David. Like he he acknowledges uh, that if we were in reversed roles, I probably wouldn't have let you go. I probably would have made the sinful choice. And I I can see now that the kingdom is going to go into your hands and be established. And so as we, as we read that, sometimes on Sundays, maybe you think, why are we reading a passage written uh, about a thousand BC time frame where it doesn't seem to be about us? And I would argue that while it's not about us, it has everything to do with us. And, And it's pointing us to the better David. Like it's pointing us um, to a better David that would come and, and the outcast would find a space with him. Like there would be a better David who would be persecuted by his own. He would be rejected by his own, even though he's the true savior and he would bring about the salvation of the nation and of people. And he would find us broken and vulnerable in a cave and instead of taking us out he would offer us grace because Romans 5 says while we were dead in our sins Christ died for us it wasn't at our best it was at our worst that Christ died for you and for me that's why the gospel is called good news and if we can we can repent of our sins agree with God ask forgiveness repent and turn put our faith in him he says he makes you new and so we see there's going to be times uh, where we, we need to hear from God. And when we hear from his word, we want to line our life up with his word. And so where, where in your life uh, 
is there a temptation to take revenge? It looks like strength is found in restraint rather than vengeance. And so as always, when we hear the word, we don't want it to just fall on our ears and our hearts and go, man, that was good. Man, that was challenging. I'm glad they were here. Um, or she was here. He was here. I'm so glad he heard this. I hope he was listening. I'm going to text him notes at lunch just in case. Uh, no, we, we want to see what God has for us because it should weigh into our relationships, our language, our parenting, the way we treat our neighbors, the way we treat our kids, our spouses. And so first question is, who, whose kingdom are you focused on? Are, are you focused on his or yours? Like, have you found yourself in spaces or doing things you never thought you would? Chances are you're focused on the wrong kingdom. If everybody around you in this season feels like annoying uh, and they're just getting in the way of this happiness or joy that you want to have, chances are you're, you're focused on the wrong kingdom. Second, are you at a crossroads in your life and you're being tempted by others and maybe even your own heart to go a direction you know is wrong? Like David withstood the pressure and he didn't compromise his character. Uh, Joey uh, from Friends ends up going to the second audition uh, and he's just kind of warming up with the dancers looking at what they do and the director looks at him and says, hey, I got this urgent call, I've got to go, but you're the most experienced in the room, so I'm going to show you the routine and you need to teach it to them. Uh, and it goes horribly wrong uh, and he ends up running out, like it's not good. But you and I have no idea what's at stake with this decision or this path that you're, you and I are trying to go on. How do you treat God's leaders? Like, do you find yourself praying for your pastor, your small group leader, your, your mentor? Do you, do you pray for them? Are you quick to criticize? Are you quick to listen to gossip and not stop it? Are you even the one raising your hand against God's anointed leaders? Like, if you keep reading, it goes bad uh, for, for those that are very flippant in that area. Do you, finally, do you love your enemies? Like, think about the last enemy you had, or maybe you have one right now, and when I said it, you thought of somebody, and if they're next to you, don't touch their shoulder. Um, but how do you treat your enemies? Do you pray for them? Do you look at ways to bless them, or are you just like my heart is sometimes, I just want to get them. I just want to make them hurt the way they hurt me. Or, or do you try to respond with good when they hit you up with evil? Strength is always found in restraint rather than revenge. I'm going to pray for us. Uh, and again, we're going to have a time to re respond. And maybe you need right where you are. Maybe you need to confess some things. Uh, maybe you've been following and about the wrong kingdom. Maybe there's some other heart things going on. We also have up here, you could pray. Uh, up here and say, hey, God, I need you. Maybe you got a need that's not even related to this and you just need God in your family. I know I do. Uh, we're going to give uh, that time. And so I'm going to pray and Dylan will come up. Uh, 